I'm always grateful for the opportunity to come and preach here at our church, but also at the same time, I like it a little better when Pastor Cook's like, Gabriel, I want you to preach, and I want you to preach X. This time he's like, preach anything you want except for Psalm 1. And he didn't even tell me that. He told Adam how that. So I'm glad I'm not preaching Psalm 1 tonight. And I really was glad that Adam Howe did not preach Psalm 46 this morning. You know, you don't collaborate these things, just kind of a hodgepodge of things coming together. We're going to be in Psalm 46 this evening. And you may notice I have a sidekick up here. Now, I'm not Moses, but I do have an Aaron. Aaron and I are going to try. Thank you. We'll be here all night. Jokes are free. Aaron and I are going to try something different tonight, and it, it may just fall flat on his face, or you may be blessed by it. We hope the latter, but uh, I'll, I'll explain more what he's going to do here in a moment. But we're going to be in Psalm 46, and Dr. Eliff asked, asked me on Friday, why Psalm 46? Because last year for me was probably the hardest year of my life, and I needed Psalm 46. Well, I needed the Lord of whom Psalm 46 speaks about. And I wanted to remind my brothers and my sisters, and one day, my little girls may go back and happen to watch this, I want them to know that when people ask, where is God? God is with us. He has promised to never leave us and never forsake us. And Psalm 46 is a resounding remembrance of that. And so Psalm 46 to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters war and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word, which is true with no mixture of error. We thank you for the promises for which it contains, and we thank you that it reveals to us our holy triune God, who promises to always be with us. Be with us tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. 7.55 a.m., December 7th, 1941, 360 Japanese bombers descend from the clouds onto the naval base in Pearl Harbor and can do damage to the naval fleet. It is a moment that, as our President Roosevelt says, stands in infamy. 
8.46 a.m., September 11, 2001, American Airlines Flight 11 slams into the North Tower of the World Trade Center. These two events are time-stamped on our nation's national fabric. Altered life. We literally fly differently today than we ever have before. We remember things by, oh, 9-11, post-9-11. Remembering December 7th, 1941. And these things, if you go back and you Google some of these things, in a, in a religious sense, these articles begin to come up, where was God? Where is God? And, and several people got the, the opportunity, like Tim Keller, to preach. God was here. God was there. All of us have personal time stamps. You go back in your life, you think of these, about these moments that just bring you to your knees. March 18th, 2002, 11.35 a.m., I walk into St. Mary's Hospital in Huntington, West Virginia. I say goodbye to my father for the last time. It's time stamp. I can tell you the time. I can tell you the look on his face. I can tell you how my mother kissed him goodbye for the last time. You live long enough, you have several of these moments, death, health scares, financial reversals, and you ask, where is God? Where do we turn? We turn to the Bible. We turn to Psalm 46, and Psalm 46 tells us exactly where God is. God sits on heaven's throne as king over all creation and the cosmos, ruling with all power, love, wisdom, and goodness, even in the midst of death, even in the midst of evil, God sits on his throne. And Psalm 46 tells us that God is with us. The background for this psalm is debated. It's really hard. Dr. Howe told me this morning, because I was really trying to pin it down so I give you all the right answer. I really so badly wanted to give you all the right answer tonight about where this psalm came from. If Dr. Howe doesn't know, I don't know, okay? But you can go ask Dr. Bess or Dr. Hanley. Maybe Dr. Howe will figure it out by the time you ask him. The background for this psalm it's debated. There are a couple of options that scholars think are most prominent. The first being in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when Jehoshaphat prayed, when the Moabites, the Ammonites, and Mount Seir gathered together to do battle against the God's people, Jehoshaphat was afraid. That's what verse 3 says of 2 Chronicles. Jehoshaphat was afraid. So he seeks the Lord, and he offers this beautiful prayer unto Yahweh. And in verse 12... He ends the prayer like this. We did not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We did not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. How many of you felt that way at times in your life? I don't know what to do, Lord, but my eyes are on you. That's Jehoshaphat's prayer. And this amazing answer comes through Jehaziel, a Levite, son of Asaph. He speaks for the Lord, and the Lord says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You will not need to fight. And then a, a chorus of praise comes out. The Levites and the Korites, they stood up and praised the Lord. And then the next morning, when Judah came to the watchtower, they look out and the horde of their enemies was dead. None had escaped. The Lord had fought for them. And they spent three days collecting the spoil as the victors. And on the fourth day, they had an assembly to the Lord and there was great praise and great celebration and great song. And so one idea is that this Psalm 46 comes out of the events from 2 Chronicles 20. The other 
is from 2 Kings 18 and 19. When King Hezekiah tried to bribe the king of Assyria, saying, okay, do not come to war with us. We will give you what you want. So Hezekiah takes the gold out of the temple, takes the gold from his palace, tries to bribe the king of Assyria, say, do not come. Well, what do good bullies do? They take what you give them and they still come. So they're coming and he sends, he sends this, this guy, this coalition ahead of him and he begins to taunt Israel, taunt Judah. Don't listen to King Hezekiah. Who are you trusting in? The Lord cannot deliver. Look at these other places where we have gone through and we have just destroyed them. We have wiped them out utterly and completely. They are no more. Why listen to King Hezekiah? The Lord will not deliver. Hezekiah is distraught. He tears his clothes before the Lord in the temple. He's praying and Isaiah gives him the word, the answer of the Lord that, hey, nobody's coming into my city. Nobody will be in Jerusalem to take it over. Do not be afraid. There it is again, that phrase. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I will take care of it. And in 2 Kings 19.35, that night, the angel of the Lord struck down 185,000 who stood against the Lord. They go out the next morning, and there's just death all around. The Lord had protected them. So those are the two competing options. Either way, the point of Psalm 46 is the same for us, isn't it? That in the midst of dire devastating circumstances, God is with us and God is our help. God is with us and God is our help. He has always been with us and he will be with us forever. And so they wrote a song to remind them that when they were tempted to ask, where is God? It reminds them and reminds you and me that God is with us. This psalm is a song and it breaks down into three verses. And so that's how we've broken down the sermon outline. And as I was reading, you probably noticed this word I kept saying three times. I said this word, and then I paused for a moment. I said, Selah. And that's how the psalm breaks down, these three portions, Selah. And so tonight as we're preaching, and I say we because I'm including Aaron. Anytime we get to Selah, Aaron is going to start playing music. Okay. Because Selah, we think, is there. We don't know exactly what it means, but a lot of scholars think that it's there to be a musical interlude that is to lead us to pause and to reflect about what was just said. So I'm going to try to put some reflections together for us as we come to those parts in the text, and Aaron's going to play music. Does that sound good? If you need more money later, we'll settle up with Jeff. <laughs> Verse 1 of this song and what we should take away from it tonight is to be comforted. God is with us, and he is our present help. This is a song, a song. They just saw this mighty win, victory on their behalf that God had demonstrated, and they come into song. I had a pastor who used to tell us, music has a way of bypassing the brain and going straight to the heart. How many times have you just been in the middle of your day doing something or another, and a song you maybe not have heard for years will just come into your head. Maybe an old jingle for like a Burger King commercial. And all of a sudden you're like whistling Burger King, and you want to go eat Burger King, and you haven't heard that song for years. Music is powerful in that sense. 
And so we set the, the truth of God's word to music. In fact, this is what Martin Luther himself did. As you guys know the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Martin Luther penned those, those words, that song, from this psalm. In fact, when, during the Reformation days, he would become distraught and despair during his battles with the Roman Catholic Church, and he would tell us, Philip, Philip, come, let's go sing the words of the 46th Psalm. And they were, they were great comfort to Martin Luther. In fact, my, my grandfather passed away this past January. We, we had his funeral in February. He had planned his funeral for years. It was ready to go. And the first song that he had for us to sing was, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He wanted his family left behind to take comfort, to be comforted, that God is with us, our very present help in trouble. So it's a song, and we want to sing songs, and Craig does such a good job of leading us in corporate worship to sing songs with good theology so that we are in the midst of hard and difficult times. When our brains aren't thinking, our hearts are remembering good theology through the power of music. So a song to the choir director. Some translations call it the choir master. I love that. I would like to start calling Greg Bruton the choir master. I don't know if we need a special call business meeting to that tonight, but if we can just start calling Greg Bruton choir master, that would be a win from this sermon. <laughs> so they, they write this song, they give it to the choir director, the choir master, and the sons of Korah. This is, a, you know, the sons of Korah. This is just ooze of grace for us. If we remember when Korah rebelled against Moses, and the Lord causes the ground to open up and takes away those who grumbled against Moses. The sons of Korah he saved. Grace. And these sons of Korah then would go on to, to do important things in the house of the Lord, many of which was they formed a band. They, formed, they were sung songs. And so they were some of the best singers. And so this momentum, this momentous occasion to remember the works of the Lord was like, we want our best choir director. We want our best singer. So we got Aaron. You're, you're our best guitarist player. You're going to be up here tonight, you know. So we need our best. The best songs get the best players. So a song, the songs of Korah and Alamoth. Now this is, I don't know what this means, so we're just going to move on. <laughs> I think it does mean to sing Adam, like with a high voice. Craig, do I got the, uh, have a job? No? Okay, I'm still trying out. I want to do the triangle up here one day. This first verse reminds us that God is with us and he is our help. Verse 1 is a statement, a fact, a declaration. It is a certainty. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Notice, this is a statement of fact. God is with us. God is the focal point of this song. God is the focal point. In fact, we sang a song this morning that said the hero of heaven, God, if he is not our hero, if he is not our focal point, we are doing things wrong. He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And this is good because I am always in trouble. John 16, in this world you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. And we get in different kinds of trouble. In verses 2 and 3, they give us some examples of these different kinds of trouble. And God is present with us even when the unimaginable happens. When what should be secure is lost. Verse 2, therefore, because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, we will not fear. 
God is with us. That is why we won't fear. Even when X, Y, Z happen, we will not fear. And the psalmist gives examples of when the earth gives way, when it changes, when it trembles. You think about earthquake. When the mountains topple, they slip into the heart of the sea. I mean, I, every time I read this, I kept thinking of uh, one of my favorite songs, Stand By Me. But that kind of like, as long as you stand by me, it's a love song, but that won't help. When the earth is falling away, you want the lover of your soul to stand by you. Yahweh, the God of Israel, our hope. The oceans, they, for, they, they roar and foam, they swell. So I, do, I don't know if this is right. Adam, you can correct us later in a couple months. Let me get away from this a while. I had this idea of this massive earthquake that leads into like a, a tsunami and a hurricane that takes out all the mountains. And there's nothing left. It's like this cataclysmic event that just leaves me with everything that I thought was secure. I mean, the earth should not move. I've never experienced an earthquake. Some of you have, but it's very unsettling, I would imagine. Just think, why are you moving? You, this is earth. Don't move. But I will not be afraid. God is our refuge and strength. Selah. So Aaron, you pick forth some music, and we're going to reflect a little bit on these verses. Some of us have maybe never experienced a little earthquake or a tsunami, etc. But all of us have experienced emotional, physical loss of life as we know it, when life alters around you. You've experienced that. The death of a, death of a loved one, a job reversal, money lost, your reputa reputation taken away from you, health problems, and we're tempted to say, where are you, God? God is with you, ninth and nine. God is here. But that does not mean that our losses are trivial or that we should become stoics because God is with us. That means that when, even in the midst of our disappointments, devastation, God is here and God is greater. And we need psalms like this. I remember when my father-in-law had a stroke in 2011. I would sit with him at night Gabriel, read me a song. What do you want to hear, Larry? My father-in-law hid God's word in his heart. He would tell me what he wanted to hear. Oftentimes, we go to the 46th Psalm. God is my refuge of strength. A very present help in trouble. Be comforted in that time. God is with you. He is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. God is with you. Be comforted by God's presence. That's what we should reflect on when we get to that Selah. In the second verse of this beautiful song, verses four through seven, we are to be hopeful for God is with us and he is our future help. The psalmist wants us to remember that not only are our present circumstances controlled by God, but so is our future. God is our help now, God is our help tomorrow, and God will be our help forever. In verse four, there's a river, and it deserves our attention. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. Zechariah and Ezekiel both prophesied of this river. In Zechariah 14, verse eight, and Ezekiel 47. 
And they talked about a river flowing with living waters. In the book of Revelation, John is given the ultimate vision of this river in Revelation 22. And it records for us, which is the last vision of John's gospel, or John's book of Revelation, excuse me. In Revelation 22, verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river. The river prophesied by Ezekiel. The river prophesied by Zechariah. The river talked about in Psalm 46. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So this river in Psalm 46, our minds should jump to the end of the book to be hopeful that God is with us and he is our future help. And why does this river make us glad? This river makes us glad because it flows from the throne of God. It flows from God himself. And in its midst, there is the healing of the nations. There's the healing and life and reconciliation. This is our hope. God is our help today, tomorrow, and forever because he is with us. I will dwell with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Revelation 21.3, my favorite verse in the Bible. Outside of Luke 19.10 and all the rest that are my favorite. This is an eternal city with no walls. Yet it remains a fortress that is impenetrable because God is with us. The nations make an uproar. The kingdoms totter. Stop. The Lord says, stop. He is with us. Nothing will harm us. And so as we get to Selah, we reflect about these verses, how God is our future help. God will be with us forever. Paul said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth to be comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. God is greater than all things, all treasure, all people that we may love. And heaven is where God is. And yet for many people, sadly, even in the church, if they were welcomed into heaven and then at the last minute they said, oh, I'm sorry, God's not here, but you can come on in. Too many people would be okay with that notion. But God is the focal point where God is, heaven is. And it doesn't matter about all these other things if we have God. And a day is coming when our God will right every wrong. He will wipe away every tear he will invite you in to his eternal city that is his fortress and say, well done. And that's why we are glad. Because God is there. God is there. No more goodbyes. No more heartache. 
No more cancer diagnoses. So be hopeful. God is with us and will be with us forever. Hope in his promise, as Abraham did, who looked to the eternal city, whose architect and builder was God. In our final verse of this beautiful song, be restful, God is with us and only he can help. God orchestrates every event in history. Every moment of your life from the mundane moments of going to the store and picking out what fabric softener you're going to use to the joyous moments of seeing a child marry a godly spouse or in the midst of a disaster when they tell you there is no heartbeat. God is sovereign in and over all of our moments. History belongs to God. Creation belongs to God. And we are invited to see what he has done throughout all of history. He starts and stops. He makes wars to cease. He raises up Roman civilization. He tears it down. The Greeks tears it down. Babylonians tears it down. America, our time will be coming. God's time is never up. He's the one that breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. No matter what nature, military might, governments, Hollywood, or whatever's going on in your life, and they tell us what's going to happen, God is the one who has penned it from eternity past. And so we rest that God is at work. In verse 10, this is on probably, I, one of my first jobs was at a Christian bookstore and I was in charge of the greeting cards. And I would say 40% of those greeting cards had this verse right here on them. Be still and know that I am God. All right. Wonderful verse, a beautiful verse. Don't know what it means. And like, I don't know, I'm up here preaching and I should know what it means, but like, Another translation is like, okay, be still and know that God. Another one says, stop fighting. Another one says, stop striving. So there's all these different, like, people are like, what are they trying to get at? I think all, all of them, right? We're trying to get at all of them. Be still, be at rest, stop your striving. Stop your striving. I can trust God now, tomorrow, and for all eternity. Because he is control of all things. He is with us. He will help. I don't have to strive to orchestrate my life in such a way that I'm in control. He's in control. I work. I participate with him. But he orchestrates the moments of my life from picking out fabric softener to saying goodbye to my dad to welcoming my two beautiful girls into this world. Every moment orchestrated by the God of hosts who is with us. And brothers and sisters, I, I wanted to preach Psalm 46 because I feel this deeply and I so want you to feel this deeply. That God is with you. That he will never leave you nor forsake you when he allows you the joys 
of the mountaintop or takes you to the valley, he is with you. And it's too simple to say that God's help is just to remove trouble from us. God's help is also sustaining when he calls you through the furnace. There's a pattern that was established long ago in Genesis that God would do a redeeming work through judgment and through trial and through suffering. It's too simple to just think God's help is always the removal of what is hurting us, but God wants to do in you what we cannot do for ourselves, making us more like Jesus Christ. And so as my good friend Kyle Barrett preached on Psalm 23, and I've ripped him off 46 times now, that the way to the house of the Lord forever is through the valley of the shadow of death. Yet I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. God is with us. This is the path Jesus took to the cross. Lord, if possible, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but what you will be done. The way to the house of the Lord, friends, is through the valley of the shadow of death. But God is with you. At all times, in all ways. And I would be remiss if I did not point out the communal nature of this psalm. Verse 1, our. Verse 2, we. Verse 4, if you permit me, a city, that's where people dwell, not just one person. Okay, so I'm going to use that as community evidence as well. Verse 7, us in our. Verse 11, us in our. We do this together. One of the ways God helps us is by putting us in covenant relationship with believers of like faith. So ninth and O, as I read Psalm 46, I don't just read it for Gabriel Heinerman. I read it our refuge and strength. A very present help for us in times of trouble. And so we're called to help each other. And remember, this is a song. So we sing congregationally loudly when Pastor Craig calls us to stand and sing. To remind ourselves of the promises of God that he will never leave us, never forsake us. That nothing can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. Famine, nakedness, sword, disease, death, nothing will separate us from God from this day in January to when he calls us home. You can count on that promise. So what does it have to do with the Lord's Supper? How do I know God is with me? Because on that dark Friday, he left our Lord Jesus. When our God cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he bore all the wrath of God so that you and I might be brought in as his enemies, as adopted sons and daughters of the king, to never be left behind again. Reconciled to God through the blood of his precious son, Jesus Christ, because he experienced for us what it was like to be without God in the deepest valley of the shadow of death so that we will never have to face that. And sometime this year or in the years ahead, 
when the earth is falling away from you, when the mountains are going to the heart of the sea, when everything that you are putting your security in or tempted to be your security in is failing you, you look to Psalm 46, you look to your brothers and sisters, and you say, let's, let's look to God together, reminding ourselves that he is our help today, tomorrow, and for all time. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your loving kindness towards us that leads us to repentance. We thank you for Jesus who bore in his body what we deserved because of the sin in which we sinned against you. And yet, as he is on the cross, cries out, Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. No one took his life, he laid it down. And as we gather together around your table this evening, speak to us, encourage us, challenge us. And we thank you that in Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen. And we thank you for your promise to never leave us nor forsake us. We love you, God. Help us to love you more than we do right now and to trust you for all time. In Jesus' name.